I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today on An Actor Despairs, it's truly a dream come true. I have one of the actors that really just knighted me and, and set me on this path without even knowing me, Bill Pullman. You know Bill Pullman from so many films. I'm so grateful that he came on. We talk about all his work, getting started, Broadway, Casper, Independence Day, Newsies, and his new project on USA, The Spinner. And I got so much love for him. He's got a new movie out called The High Note. Make sure to check it out. Here it is. Bill Pullman, welcome to An Act of Despairs. How are you doing, man? Last off. We yeah. Into the We're ready to go into despair. <laughs> man, I mean this with the utmost sincerity. You changed my life without even knowing me. I would not have started this acting pursuit or done anything if it weren't for you. You were the biggest influence on me. I mean, all my earliest cinematic experiences they were all with you you know like uh, the serpent in the rainbow you know space falls even and then like casper newsies independence day like i've spoken about this with kathleen turner when she did this show but your range it's so hard to be an amazing actor in that many kind of mediums you know or styles or narratives you know or, or tonal shifts and you are one of the best actors in the world. And I remember when I saw... Wait a minute, wait a minute. My wife is down, so she's got to hear that. Best, <laughs> one of the best actors in the world. My dog looked up. And that, <laughs> down, but. I, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this before, man, but like that Independence Day speech, I remember being like seven or eight years old, and I was like, that's what I want to do. That, like, it was your character I cared about, and then I followed your career religiously. And oh, man, thank you know, very much. Right. Just, it's a, it, honestly, this is a dream come true, man. I've, I've got so much love and admiration and 
I've been trying to see you on the stage for so long, so I hope I get to make that happen soon. Yeah. Yes, if I can still crank it up. Last year, did all my sons in uh, at the old Vic. I heard all my British friends. Name, but uh, you can catch it. You know, it's on that uh, National Theater Live, which is yeah. very amazing. Uh, to You know, we did it live for uh, 800,000 people around the world. Wow. One performance. It was a trippy thing because, you know, you don't want to trip. You don't want to trip up. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, you're doing it live, so there's no going back. And But that recording has uh, made the rounds, and now it's coming back. Uh, I think with COVID times, they're looking to get some more content out there. And uh, it's a very good um, methods they have to record a live stage. Normally, I hate hate looking at uh, video of plays. You know? Yeah, because it's just such a, it, it, it's a live experience and it doesn't really work. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But uh, let's, well, let's start at the beginning. You grew up in New York, right, Bill? Yeah, well, that's a big state, Ryan. You know? <laughs> yeah. up, upstate, right? Yeah, upstate, far west, you know, rural, rural counties. They, uh, Stu Bennett and Allegheny County, I think, have the highest white-tailed deer count hunting oh. season. And uh, it's the most rural probably. And uh, has, uh, But it's a great place to grow up. It's kind of remote, but uh, uh, they're still part of the world, as they realized with COVID and everything else, that, uh, you know, this, these times are uh, – the world is made a lot smaller. But that's where I grew up, in the back hills. Wow. And then what What did your parents do? Were they at all in the arts? They were in medicine. Yeah, my father. Oh, my dad's a doctor, so. No. Is he? Yeah. I know. Well, you know, Ryan, I always thought it was interesting that Chekhov was a doctor. Yeah. Chekhov was one of the great humanists of all time and certainly one of the most important playwrights who yeah. you know, really influenced me when I was forming oh. my ideas of what truthful yeah, performance and behavior on stage was, and uh, doing his plays were really. And he was a doctor, and uh, there's been other great people in the business who uh, came through medicine. But I, uh, do you feel like you can carry your mission as an actor towards, uh, you know, it, and also oblige this guilt we have because we aren't doing as much for humanity as our parents. I know, man. I, I feel so good. That's why I started a podcast so I can give back. <laughs> good. good. Yeah. 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 But then talk to me. How, you know, because you're someone to me that's that's a true master actor. And it sounds, you know, for most people, there's there's a lot of life experience there. So talk to me about your youth. You know, what what were you doing? You know, were you were you working on like ranches or... You know, well, Western New York State is pretty far west, but not far as as ranch. I fell in love with Montana later in my life when I was in college. You know, yeah, be part of theater company. So I have, but as agrarian, so I worked on farms. I worked on a dairy farm. You know, when I was in summertime, when I was in high school in Western New York State. But I, you know, in those days, so different than now in terms of nobody really ever thought they could grow up and be an actor. You know, yeah. this wasn't uh, nobody thought of it. Uh, you know, I remember one time um, a, a Cisco kid who was there was a TV series for about seven years in the 60s about Cisco kid and his sidekick Pancho and Cisco kid came to our town and that and we 
got given an eight by ten black and white glossy with he signed it and I said, What is this? I'm a yeah. kid. But that was the only moment where it crossed my brain and then it went out again. Wow. And, um, I was in uh, and I you know, I uh, had had went into uh, you know, I was doing just yeah, after high school, I was looking around thinking, I was going to buck, I'm going to go to building construction school. Yeah. And I was hanging out in the dorm and it's some refrigeration students said, we're going to go try out for a play. You want to come? So I went with them and, uh, and I ended up getting cast in this play. And then it well, turned do you remember the play? Yeah. It was the bald soprano by wow. Inesco. It's uh, amazing that this guy, Bill Campbell was a, uh, uh, the director and he was new, pretty new out of college. But in that time, the, there were these great absurd style plays and the ball soprano was one of those. And, um, it, he was a charismatic guy, the director. And, uh, I, uh, had, and I kept, but I still was fighting it. But he said, Pullman, you're, you're not going to do those things you're thinking about. I had a whole bunch of possible careers but uh, he said you're just gonna this is good you'll like this life and uh, maybe academic theater seemed like was what he was recommending which i did yeah then i thought i better you know you start to i learned late i was a late bloomer i hadn't really seen any uh you know independent filmmaking or anything i hadn't seen what the range of cinema was for sure i didn't really watch television very much and uh so I was hooked by the theater. So it was in that process I began to see, you know, important performances in film and, uh, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, started to think that uh, there's a journey there to that I need to take to try to find uh, that level of being able to channel character. Was it in that very production where you felt the cathartic alignment of like, I think there's something here for me? Well, yeah, there was something in my reptile brain, you know, thank God we're, we can uh, have these things where I, the, in that first production where I thought this is fun. Yeah. And this was kind of like fun to be in front of an audience doing something uh, that was disturbing and uh, uncomfortable and funny to them. I thought that those are three good things, but we were reading newspapers and uh, my character was reading the news to his wife and Mr. Smith was his character reading it to Mrs. Smith and Campbell, the director had me all the time during doing it slowly rotating forward in slow motion until I'm too far over. And then I, still reading, fall down to the ground, and I roll on my back, and I'm still reading the newspaper. It was weird. Yeah. Kind of strange for the audience. They were laughing, but it, what's the point? You know, the point that it wasn't on the nose, you know. So it, I thought, this is mysterious. This is really engaging. This is compelling. This is behavior that – uh so I, that hooked me, I think, in some way. But still, and this was at SUNY, your co- at college, or this was at uh, Delhi, which was uh, SUNY Delhi, but just two year college for mainly a vocational college. And then Campbell said, "You got to go to Oneonta, which is where he went, and you know, get an undergraduate degree, and then get a graduate degree in theater, and then teach in a place like this. It's a good life." So the the MFA thing was like that was in your mind early. Yeah, I think because I went into academic theater and 
I like thinking about things. I met, I had some great professors that were making me think about how to analyze scripts and, and I, uh, and I didn't really know professional, nobody around me was going professional or anything. So I got an MFA and I, I was kind of thinking I could go to, you know, start into profession, but then I got a job offer to teach at Montana state university for two years. I did it. And that, that's I, in Missoula, right? In uh, Bozeman. Oh, yeah. Bozeman. Okay. Got university it. of Montana's in Missoula, Montana state universities in Bozeman. Got it. I love Bozeman. I love Montana a lot. Yeah. It's been part of, big part of my life since I first went out there and, you know, when I was 20. Wow. And how was that experience going from, you know, falling? The, his name is uh, what? Campbell? Sorry. Bill I Campbell. Get, Bill Campbell. Bill, Bill Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. And when you did that, like, you know, I, I know for actors, I mean, you said it was a very academic thing for you at first. Were you fulfilled by that teaching? Like, did you find, you know, cause like, Students can be fucking assholes or they can be passionate and you really don't know. Sometimes it's a blend of both, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's really wild. Uh, I had a very, I thought about this two months ago in a very interesting moment to happen because of COVID. I was working in New York on a Netflix series called Halston yeah. and we, it's five episodes for Netflix and we were an episode and a half into it, March 13th, Friday, the 13th, last day, we're shutting down. So, okay, well, I better get home to my family in L.A. I go take the flight out this mor- the next morning, and there in the waiting room is John Dahl. And John Dahl directed me first in Last Deduction. Wow. And then I went on to do um, You Kill Me, which is another movie he did that directed. But he was a student of mine at yeah. Montana State University. He, he was a film major, but he wanted to take a directing for the theater, of course. And uh, there we were in the lounge waiting for our flight to go home. We'd been shut down and everything. And he was reminding me what I was like as a teacher. Because in some ways, I fugued between all these different personas in my past, going trying to be a professor, trying to representing myself. Yeah, I doing stuff, and then I was, but I was so curious to get his take on me because he, you know, I wasn't that much older than him. And uh, but he, and then I said, "What do you remember from what I taught?" So. He reminded me, and I thought, you know, that was a very good chance for me to come through school. Even though it meant very late coming to the business, I got a chance to cement what I thought was important about live performance, particularly, and uh, and then what my part in it was, and then interfacing with film and uh, just having these film students. So, yeah, it was a very, very good part, chapter. That's amazing. And I'm 30 and, you know, I, I only got started five years ago. So I, I relate to what you're saying, getting started late and feeling like, oh, but I'm curious, you know, at being in Montana and, you know, L.A.'s over here and New York's over there. I heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true, but your film students encourage you to go after it. Is that true? Well, yeah, I don't know if there was um, some students that did somehow uh you know uh 
that's a mixed message. Okay. You know, uh, when they say a student says, you ought to get out of this. <laughs> what are you I, didn't, I didn't even think about the other side of that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, I think uh, I think they were that you know. So I don't I don't remember a lot of them. You know, you, you student, you're pretty self involved and trying to get your own life together. Who the heck you are? But um, I think there was a feeling like. Uh, you know, you can kind of get that sense when you're in an environment and you sense somebody's charging around and they haven't, they got some engine in them that really should take them to the another level or something. Yeah. And I was, you know, charging around and, uh, you know, and I, I was had become kind of co-chairman of the department and was really, you know, pushing, pushing and, uh, to get, you know, and, and making a lot of demands and, uh, but at this, of, of, of trying to get the, uh, it'd be a good school, good program, justify the parents paying the money and everything. And, uh, but at the same time, I did have an itch, you know, which I could, I had exercise being an actor, you know, being in the touring Shakespeare company. So they knew that I really you know, loved busting out in yeah. those situations. So I think they they said you got to give it to yourself. Yeah, and I just then, remember two people saying that. But then and, they we talked to somebody because they got it into the internet channel, and now it's uh, you know how uh, the fucking internet is. <laughs> it's all fake, you know. But uh, did you have somebody that encouraged you to go do some do the business five years ago when you said? So, to be 100% honest with you, I, I got started at 15. I lost my way, and uh, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic, and I got sober four years ago. And right. I think I lost eight years of my life just fucking saying I was an actor, but I was just partying and doing drugs and trying to get laid. And, oh. uh, you know, I had a lot of opportunities thrown my way because I... I had some talent. Alec Baldwin was my teacher. And Alec Baldwin. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, NYU or where? NYU. Was you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I I fucked him up, man. And you know, I, I through a bunch of other rock bottoms. I finally was like, all right, enough is enough. I and yeah. some and, uh, you know, I have immense shame and guilt that I lost so much time and that I didn't focus sooner, but who I am now and the depth that I feel like I have, I, I don't, I don't think I would be the actor I am without it. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, and as you know, coming through the program, that's such good teaching. And, you know, I, I'm familiar with the program quite a bit. And uh, so I think, you know, the idea of how shame and guilt can, can be another kind of holding you back. Yeah. kind of thing you know so you had to overcome that to really embrace you know the 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 journey as it has been and yeah good and for like, you man if i had any success at 22 i probably would have fucking ruined it you know doing blow and at the chateau marmont and like done something stupid and ruined my career forever and i would have just been a shitty actor because you know, your your neurosis is insane on alcohol and drugs. You you think you're such a better, cooler person. But uh, sorry, man, I, I don't mean to 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 take away from you. No, no, I asked. I'm yeah. curious. 
what yeah. how it's been. And do you uh, do you know Shea Wiggum at all? No, I don't. He's a very close friend of mine, and he's been very good and a mentor. And you know the work that you're you've done, and Shay, and you know Bill Camp, Chris Bauer, those guys. It's it's very much what I'm trying to do. You know, yeah. But uh, right, you got a good interest you know, with Bill Camp too, because he's I know him. We did Dark Waters last. Year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Day at a time, man. But animal. I've seen him do. Did you see him on stage doing like the? Uh, you know, he he did the uh, uh, the misanthrope uh, at, at, at New York Theater Workshop. One of the great performances. Oh man! Yeah. Oh, I have really bad luck with getting things at, at New York Theater Workshop. But just every time I enter the lottery, I don't. But oh. St. Anne's, I have much better luck. So I see everything that's, at St. Anne's. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah. That's those are two of my favorite theaters in the world. But to talk to me about you when you made this pivotal decision and you kind of left that one road of tenure and, you know, being, uh, I don't know, the president of maybe a university. How did, you know, what, what was it that really, I guess, just like gave you that audacity to be like, I'm going to do this other thing, you know, because you had a safety net and, and I have so much admiration and respect for that because the leap is the hardest thing, you know? Yeah. I don't, you know, I was lucky in my my birth order because I was six of seven. So my parents had given up on trying to influence me. <laughs> you know, there's a, it's such a factor, isn't it? That, you know, it's, what are you going to do? What's it? But they were basically by that time pretty just happy that I was happy. So that got me, gave me permission. But I, I really, um, you know, I didn't get really invested in the being on the faculty. So I wasn't president of the university. Did you think? No, I, I, I meant like that being the way it could have gone. If you oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, I did, uh, you know, you know, you kind of have a certain comfort, even though it wasn't a lot of money and it was uh, teaching. But I then went to New York and then I had to just, never mentioned to anybody that I taught college because I had to carry boxes at uh, liquor stores. And, uh, you know, I had to do phone calls for, you know, New York times uh, polling at night, you know, fit all these odd survival jobs in. And you, you know, it just complicated the message to say you came from another. Yeah, because they're like, this is beneath you. I've I've dealt with the same thing myself. You know, like, why why would you, you know what I mean? It's like, I got to survive and I need hours to be able to audition. So yeah. when, you, when you came here, you know, I imagine that was pretty much more so the real New York at that time. Could you, could you find a place that wasn't $5,000 for a studio? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was really, you know, possible. It took some work, but it was possible to find the lowest end accommodation. And uh, I wasn't hugely invested in having a nice place or something. Yeah, and there were other actors who were, and I saw, you know, that, that especially the bartenders, which I used to envy the bartenders. Oh, they're making a lot of money. I know. And they're working at night, and so they can do auditions and do class work, and then they can do that, and they can get nights off even. But then I saw them go, ah, you know, they go, maybe I want that nice little uh, – 
West Village studio yeah. and then, you know up their nut a little bit to, so they have to cover that nut and then they work more hours and I could just see you know better to stay close to the ground and bump the cockroaches out so yeah. that you can get a good purchase that you wouldn't drain you and then allows you to be free yeah. those years were great years for me that you know, taking classes, working hard and, uh, and putting up scenes and uh, watching people work. You know, EST was a big place for me. And during that, I used to go there to see good actors and, yeah. uh, of course, the public and things like that. And uh, so I get to know some really watch some really good actors that, that do their work on stage and kind of thing I hadn't really seen before live. And it was a great time that, that, you know, it's like Genesis. Yeah. Something is being birthed. And then, you know, through the years, you look, you have a foundation, you know, I think that you uh, are working from. Uh, so, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, you know how to think about character in a way that gives you great uh, depth and contact with the material. And I think if you haven't spent that kind of, hungry times and you don't learn what it is to contact material in that way. You know, it starts with text and, uh, totally. You know, you have to really, it's two dimensional. It's like, you know, trying to build a building from a drawing. You got to be able to convert that two dimensions into something and you got to look at it a long time. You got to know what, what it is that that text is gonna, you know, what, what sparks you into a, the kind of passion and kind of commitment that you couldn't believe came off a piece of paper, but does. So beautifully put. Um, wow. So were you mainly concerning yourself with theater when you got here, just trying to get on Broadway or even, you know, a New York theater workshop equivalent, you know? Well, you know, Ryan, I had a little bit of the same little virus that you had because I really liked the idea of, getting paid to act and being in something in New York, whatever it was that you get a little money from, which I, you know, I spent a couple of years without being able to do that. And then go into the bar afterwards. Yeah. That beer tastes so good. After and that stool is so comfortable. I know. Oh God. I'm a paid actor. I can afford some drinks afterwards. You know, we're going to have one night out. This is so exciting, you know, and the camaraderie and in New York, yeah. camaraderie. And, uh, you know, that was uh, all pretty, but that I wasn't thinking about movies or TV or anything, though I did do a Cagney and Lacey. I had a part, I got a part on Cagney and Lacey that was uh, a doctor playing a doctor. A guest star or guest star. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had started to get some notice and some reviews and things that uh, productions and that, that, that kind of came along with, you could meet these casting directors that are looking for actors and, and it covered some bills and, uh, and then, but I also, uh, you know, got to meet, uh, some great actors in that. But, um, I, uh, I was offered to do a play in L.A., and that's what made me go to L.A. 
At the yeah. Geffen or one oh, of the... Oh, it was at the uh, Los Angeles Theater Center, which is five theater complex that had just opened up in 85. And this was oh, wow. one of the first productions in one of the theaters. And it was a very exciting... It was kind of like a, the public, but for yeah. Los Angeles. And, um, is it still ran, around? No, it, well, it's kind of in a new form now, but okay. it, it really had a great dream and a good run for about five, six years. Yeah, And uh, I did in the early first two years, I did uh, four productions there. So I was using it as oh, a, I was able to be kind of a part of a company. Yeah. And uh, but then I was also auditioning and, uh, you know, you agents want you to also, you know, you got to make money. Yep, get yeah. The money. Yeah. And uh, but I was auditioning for something. Um and uh, and then uh, it was a, it was a, kind of a serial killer, and then but it was kind of funny in a comedy. And then I and I realized the guys were laughing, the directors, and uh, I didn't. They asked me to come back and read for another part, and uh, I read for that, and they were kind of laughing too. But I didn't think I was very very funny. Yeah, and uh, um, ended up I got the part. It was ruthless people the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams. And they, I was growing my hair out from a play. I had bleached my hair blonde wow. for a play and it was growing out, had roots. And I, I think that roots thing, they had it, they just loved it. So I ended up getting cast in a pretty good movie. Ruthless people still holds yeah. up, not the biggest part in it, but good part. Yeah. yeah it was largely because of my hair. Wow, you still have beautiful hair. I need uh, I need to make sure I I have that. I'm worried. I'm on the Propecia train already. <laughs> but that's amazing, man. And, and, yeah. and but I really liked it out in L.A. And I thought I always I thought at that point I was going to go back to New York. And uh, I got married around the time we were doing um, while we were doing shooting Spaceballs. And I wow. got married in Spaceballs right after I got married in life. Was that fun working with Mel and Rick and everyone? Oh, like, yeah. You know, because like, it, it's so hard to be good in those movies, but you were amazing. Like, it, to ground yourself in that kind of world, you know, Ricky Gervais and those guys, but, like, you were just so amazing in that film. And I know what a coup it is to to develop and harness a character in that kind of stylized yeah. comedy. You know what I mean? It's That's a secret. I'm working with two very different styles. Mel had his style, which was really great and kind of comes out of vaudeville. And John Candy and Rick Moranis had their style. Yeah. Was Second City in Chicago, much more self-effacing kind of humor. It's, it was a kind of a quieter, um, more thrown away kind of style. And then Mel's was really more on point. And it was, you know, really, really great to be able to sit there between both sides, both sides with working at their fullest, strongest. And uh, I, I learned a lot from, from Mel for sure about that, what it is to have a clean, sharp delivery, uh, you know, even even if, if uh, you know, uh, Candy used to go, <laughs> I love that. Man. He, he, did, he knew he was, they were nervous about, you know, getting pulled into being, you know, doing big stuff. But Mel, you know, he's that genius of all that 
yeah, tradition of really knowing how to punch something and deliver a line. And God, it was it was really, really lucky. But I thought it was all going to go away. You know, I thought, oh, lucked out again and, and it'll all go away. But it, start, it was uh, ended up being uh, just the beginning. Of- yeah. That, I mean, that that was the flame that ignited. Uh, like the the nineties for you, so to speak, would you say, or, you know, that was the one that put you on the radar. I I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I was definitely got somewhere, you know, I was out of the blue, you know, nobody had any idea who I was during Spaceballs when it first came out. And for a number of years, I was doing good parts and it still wasn't like everybody knew anything about Bill Pump. There's my dog. It's all good. My dog's right there, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Uh, finally reacting to my being one of the greatest actors, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's a hard I'm trying to teach here, yeah. Ryan. I work and work and work. And oh. it's five minutes afterward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, brother. And, and, you know, because I know you have a long day, we could, we could talk project by project for so long, but. You know, let's just touch on a couple of, of the 90s, you know, like, I don't know, Newsies, Casper and Independence Day. What Talk to me about that, because they're all so different. Yeah. You know, like, I guess like two or more children, but like you're a ama- and you, you beautifully sank, you know, King of yeah, New York. Yeah. <laughs> yes, had a, had a little bit of, you know, triple threat. For a minute there. Oh yeah, man. And, uh, and working with like twelve-year-old Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> really great to meet all those young actors at that time. You know, uh, being able to see them all really pulling off those great dance numbers and everything. And you know, that was a time before. You know, I mean, not, now we see things like La La Land and everything, but there was a period in which movie movies that had music in them was kind of old, you know, that was yeah. not considered uh, and the movie didn't really charge around when it came out, but it, it got because of VHS coming into its own, you know, people could rent it and suddenly it had a following and then yeah. now it began to climb into better awareness, but it was dismissible after it first came out, people, buff, that was failure. Jeffrey yeah, I, I heard it was, a, you know, and it didn't catch on till much later as some of these things do happen, but... Yeah, but then, you know, Casper, they just had a 25, 25th anniversary of it, and it's the same with While You Were Sleeping. It's 25 years, right? Wow. So, but I was remembering Casper because I did a little thing with uh, Brad Silberling, the director, where we were to tweet during live during us the 25th anniversary airing of the movie and uh brad remembers everything so that was a great uh, good little journey you know reconnecting to that movie which i was glad that that uh also has kind of hung around as kind of a classic yeah story I kid you not. That was the first time I cried in a movie because when when you died and and her reaction, I was I was so sad. You know, like I had a hard time. I was still so young. I didn't really understand. You know that it was fake or whatever. And I, but man, you were just so good in that. And then it, it just moved me so much. And then I was like, this guy is amazing. And when Independence Day came along, I'm you know action movies. 
you know, they're, uh, they're, I guess some people like them for escapism, but they've never been my thing. But when I heard you were in it, I was like, I got to see this movie. And then, you know, that was back when Hollywood was able to make good action movies. And you were just like, talk about a time where we live in a world with the, with the madman in the White House, one of the best, if not the best on screen president in the history of cinema. <laughs> yeah. that was, you know, it was, it's amazing to have that moment be so, uh, it just really ignited, you know, people's, uh, sense of pride at, uh, you know, certain moments. And I can remember those moments from when I grew up, I was the things that I liked. We didn't have real action, action adventure movies. We had yeah. World War II movies, but those moments in which camaraderie, pulling together, all that stuff really, you know, it dug into that. And, and there was criticism at the time that Independence Day was a popcorn movie. So it meant a matinee movie, you know, which is using those kind of tropes of uh, trying to, you know, enlist degrade it. Or- but they were, you know, heartfelt. If you believe in those things and you really sell it like it's real, um, you know, I wasn't one for like having a wink in my eye while I was doing it. Like I'm aware that this is, you know, bigger than life and that kind of thing. I remember yeah. people ask, saying, oh, you, you know, uh, I, you did you really buy all that stuff that's in that movie? And I think you know for it to work as a real, a real uh, kind of fairy tale or something, it works like totally. Fairy. Kind of invested in it one hundred percent. And uh, you know, I was reminded of that because recently there was this Trump, you know, tweet where he had yeah, uh, God, his, oh. you know, his head on me, and I just, was so enraged about that. Yeah, yeah well, the audacity! It just yeah, it's kind of like uh, and the way that you know you think, well, don't say anything. He'll come back and be angry and you know tell you that it was a joke but it's it wasn't really even aired as a joke you know it was aired to kind of garner his uh base to support him pulling people together which is of course the opposite of what he really is yeah delusional narcissism doing yeah so i it was interesting, and I see it now with the church, you know, him going in front of the church where he's co-opting and, you know, he's robbing something to try to to increase, do something that he can't do himself, which is to bring everyone's spirit together about something. So he goes in front of a church or he put, they put it in my head, his head on me talking in that speech. But anyway, that's aside from the point I only get to do because uh, – Ryan, you opened it up about the you know, politics of the time, but um, I'm, I think it was uh, it was a really uh, uh, um, interesting to play a president at that point, and uh, and I think there it started something because there weren't a lot of hero presidents or central characters that were presidents, except yeah. unless it was a biopic. But totally. uh, at that point, but to have it in it in an action movie was outrageous. And then after that, it became kind of more common. And a lot of movies, action movies had presidents. And, and talk to me about that speech. I mean, was that something you worked on? Because if it, I mean, it's like one of it's, it is my favorite speech in a movie ever. It is. Oh, well, it was, you know, 
that we didn't work on it. It was last minute that Dean wrote it. He thought he was Dean Devlin and you know Roland were doing it, and Dean had kind of put it together, thinking we if this could is going to be better. But we had to get it in there and had to get it up on the schedule to shoot it early because we were trying to convince Fox that Independence Day would be a good title for the movie, and they were going yeah. for Doomsday, which was a little lowbrow. So we ended up, you know, rushing into it, but it was, was really, uh, maybe that's what also made it feel real, you know, like we had stakes and had some skin in the game. We really wanted to pull off the scene so we could keep the title. Wow. And I imagine every July 4th for you must be really weird now. If you walk out and see fireworks, everyone's probably looking at you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. getting pizza or something and watching the TV. And I mean, it's been, you know, I've been in some places. I was in a pizza shop on on July 4th while they were playing Independence Day. And I was waiting for my pizza, looking up at myself. And I realized there's a couple <laughs> people over to the side going, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing. Well, you know, I'll probably extract a clip for this on July 4th because I don't think we're going to have one. So, you know, kudos to, to your amazing performance on, on that, man. And then let's, let's, you know, move into the early 2000s. You know, I think like that, that, that rose you to just, I mean, a superstar. At that point, what interested you as an artist? Because that's what you are, man. I mean... Was it, was uh, yeah, it script? I, I didn't, you know, I really wasn't interested in any superstardom or anything. I was kind of following what projects would really uh, capture me. And I directed a movie, did a Virginia. A, yeah, which was a great. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> in the far west, you know, but we, for, we, guy who, a lot of those cowpunchers came out of the south and uh, Virginia and other places in the. But I did, you know, those kind of things, which were, and I had a production company and, um, you know, developed scripts and did some, um, and and really was interested in getting back to the theater, kind of a, I was able to be in a very important play, uh, 2002, which was The Goat, uh, Edward Albee. Edward Albee, yeah. Oh, I love that. Playwrights. And for me, you know, uh, the chance to kind of work with him and worked on that. And then uh, another thing um, was really an honor and a chance to do a controversial play that has since, you know, gone on to really be an important part of American theater history. And uh, that was, so yeah, those are the kind of things that I was really, uh, you know, and I did a, I did a series I've been thinking a lot about, which called Torchwood. Yeah, I remember it was a sci-fi series with um, uh, Russell T. Davies, who wrote it and directed it. Who is you know continued to do great stuff, but it was a spinoff from Doctor Who. Yeah, and but Torchwood was about it's called Miracle Day, and it was about a um, you know this fact that every, at a certain point no one died anymore. And at first that felt like a good thing. And then you realize that all the resources are being drained to because people weren't getting better. They just stayed at the same level and they were being drained to try to 
because they were keeping them alive. And they realized at a certain point that it couldn't sustain it. But I get to do a lot of different things right now. We're uh, in talks with PBS to develop. We've developed and uh, a look at superbugs. You know, I'm still because of our medical families, Brian. Yeah. Ryan, I've been kind of really uh, interested in in following through. But I've connected up with a um, microbiologist out of the Milken Institute at George Washington University, Lance Price and Cindy Liu, and uh, we are put, have a. Um, looking to develop a series that's about superbugs, pandemics, and um, what it means to the fabric of our society. Because I think all these, the tensions right now, uh, yeah, they were spurred by a very unfortunate death that was reflective of chronic problems in our society. But it's hitting in a way, I think, on top of this COVID environment. And, you know, I think... It's a lot of tension and things get drawn into this whole thing. And you can see that we're going to get through this, but then we're going to have to look at public health and really ask some tough questions and get everybody, all the stakeholders involved with looking forward to what we're going to do in the future. So we do better, you know, so we can be like just a handful of deaths and the schools kept open and, you know, we just, got to suck it up and learn and, and do the right thing. So not politicize everything that really keep me going. I, you know, speaking of going, you know, I, I, I saw the space launch the other day and then I, I, you know, I was doing some research for you and I heard you wrote a wonderful play called uh, the, Un- was it unknown six or uh, expeditious six? Yeah. Expeditious six. Talk yeah. to me about that experience, about writing a play. How was that? That was, you know, that was cool. I have always been interested in docudramas, you know, so based on non-dramatic material, the text was. But and it, and it was a expedition. They used to call all the um, the teams that were on space station uh, by expedition. So it started with Expedition 1. But Expedition yeah. 6 was the group of three astronauts who were on the space station when the Columbia blew up in 2003. And that space shuttle blew up coming back into Earth. Was Seven people, seven astronauts died. Um, The next day, there was 600,000 people in the Middle East celebrating the loss of the Columbia space shuttle because they said it was a sign from Allah that God didn't in favor the impending invasion into Iraq. And, you know, that time period was clear to me that that period before America was one thing before invading Iraq and then would be another thing for the next 10 years at least. Um, But it wasn't going to be a simple military thing that we didn't have a clue about the differences between the Shia and the Sunni. And, you know, nobody was up on the what, just like COVID, you know. And there were three astronauts on the space station, uh, two astronauts and a cosmonaut. And they were essentially stranded because they 
grounded the space shuttle. So the story of them was true story, how they got back to Earth and almost lost their lives in the Soyuz reentry. And uh, they were gone from sight and weren't tracked for six hours before they were found. All that was this kind of small little story, but it really was a big, big look at, uh, um, you know, the bottleneck of history. Like what we're in now, we're in a bottleneck of history now. Oh, for sure. Was that a great time, you know, going back to your roots and finally writing something and having it come to life? Was that? Yeah, we were really, it was great. It was a very adventurous, it was all low-flying trapeze, you know, this, uh, uh, not like circus with two points, but, you know, axial and, um, that was really made it brilliant to work on with good actors that were really strong in that a uh, lot of different ways. But we did it at Kenny Center and then uh, um, in Baltimore and then it, in uh, San Francisco. And oh. yeah, it was really, really good. So I have a lot of whittling projects. I, yeah. I it, Brian, you know, uh, you, you uh. gotta, you gotta keep, uh, Keep the old noodle greased up while you're doing Oh, I know, man. I'm trying, you know? Well, talk to me about The Sinner, because I loved your work in that. I loved Harry Ambrose, and that character was so complicated, and I felt for him, and the rapport you and Matt Bomber had, or, you know, Jamie, like, what what a great, you know, season, you know, because it's it's a great show, but every season's different, you know, and I, I really loved your work in that. And, you know, I feel like these are my words, not yours, but as American cinema started to die in, you know, the middle budget to lower budget American movies are evaporating and intellectual property, you know, and fucking, you know, toys remain as the dominant threshold in the, in the movie marketplace, you know, television, I feel like is now where the the great writers are, are developing and the great actors are going. So talk to me about that process. How How is that experience? Well, you know, I came along two years, decades after you. So you were probably more aware of television than I was. And I, I actually had a little uh, fear about committing to a series that would go from year to year. And because uh, yeah. I thought... Uh, how bad it would be to be obligated by contract to do something that I had stopped believing in. And I had heard a number of stories about that. But here we are, this center is being the first series that I've done that's gone season to season. And what was my problem? <laughs> <You know? laughs> really, Pullman? Yeah, you could have been in House of Cards, man. <laughs> yeah, with the program, man. Yeah. I get it, though. Yeah. You know, it just was like, God, it's so interesting. I feel very fortunate. I know it's not, you know, it's not doing, uh, you know, some reality or some kind of quasi-reality thing in some suburb where everybody's doing naughty things. You know, so it's not the lowest end, but it's great that we're at a really got a great team and great premise that's thoughtful, that, re- that allows me to bring a lot of things into it that I'm, that I see in life. It was modeled around my nature, you know, that, that 
it, all my interest in biophilia, all things biological, I have, you know, I love. Oh, the tree thing was very much part of, you know, all the, um, what is, what's the term for that? Botany and so forth. That was, that was written for you. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of that stuff, you know, was, it actually was an idea that Derek started with. And when I, he showed me the script, he said, maybe the guy's got an interest in botany. And I thought, you've been reading my mail. I mean, <laughs> got, you know, I've done a lot with orchards. I'm in a documentary called The Fruit Hunters. I have a huge, you know, um, interest with the orchards. I still have, you know. And you got a place in Montana where I'm sure you grow stuff, right? Well, LA is the best growing you can get. Ah, uh, Mediterranean temperate climate is, you can draw, you know, grow more plant material from all around the world in California. And yeah. Like, you know, those other Mediterranean countries were temperate climate. So I have a lot of, you know, 60 different fruit trees or so and uh, make a lot of things with it and do it's been, but there it was in the center, you know, and now, and then to recognize and have lines like looking around and talking, you know, in the kind of non sequiturs and what she brings up suddenly, you know, evidence of a tree in decline and, and yeah. uh, reflection that the ecology is out of balance. And, you know, that it's just like, that's great. Second season was uh, about Ambrose going back to his hometown in Western New York state. That was all, you know, really came from my, you know, spent time in, with the writer's room in the first season telling backstory yeah. for why Ambrose was so compartmentalized and had this, yeah. um, you know, this kind of inability to access uh, things and, um, you know, living with his right hand, not always admitting what the left hand is doing, which is yeah. a very human thing and uh, part of my life. And then and the growing up with a mother that had suffered with uh, psychiatric illness and then all became part of the second season. So, yeah. you know, this has been a great journey, a great uh, thing. And I, I, we're all kind of hovering, waiting to see what's going to happen with coming out of COVID. With it. And, uh, but we're hoping the season four will happen. Oh, amazing. Well, you would say, you know, I feel like that, that show has been such a hit for them. They absolutely have to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Ryan, um, yeah, part of my love of, uh, but yeah, two boys went to a college, Warren Wilson College in uh, West in um, uh, near Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, they are they have been a great uh, interest in ecology and everything. And we're gonna, st- my wife and I have a noon uh, Zoom meeting with them as they look at the uh, nature of their attempts to kind of integrate more ecology into um, four-year college curriculum so that people who go to college don't have to major in it, but can interface with a lot of activities that connect them to nature. So I've got to probably make a segue. Yeah. Well, Bill Pullman, thank you for coming on, man. It's been a real honor and it's just been so amazing watching you work over the years and getting a chance to talk to you. I hope we, you know, get a chance to grab coffee or work together one day, man. You thank you for doing all you do. And I got nothing but so much love for you. Well, I, and you're in New York, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I, and so that is hope to be back there this fall shooting away. So uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch and cross paths. Please do. Also, I, before you leave, I love your son Lewis's work. I, if you know his agent, I'd love to have him on the show. Same agent as mine. <laughs> that beautiful, right? All I I, uh, you know, he had job offers where he had to have deal, uh, you know, uh, uh, test deals done. And my agent didn't want to do it. And she said, oh, no, it's going to get this stuff backfires, Bill. I'm not going to. He got the part. And then they were like, oh, we want to represent him. And now, of course, he's they're glad and he's glad there's we have good representation and getting, getting you to work uh, to work together in the ballad of Lefty Brown. I'm so fond of. You know, yeah. Watch that. yeah, yeah, man. But, and Battle of the Sexes, we uh, we were in the same movie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, but uh, you know, he's gone on and he's got the Top Gun two thing coming out, which is yeah, yeah, exciting. yeah. He's working. Connect, connect us, man. I'd, I'd love to have him on the show. I'm I'm a big fan, and Phil, I got so much love for you. I'll, I'll let you get to your next meeting, man. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on. And all that you do and in, in inspiring all of us around the world, man, you're you're truly a master. Oh, and, well, thank you so I, much, Ryan. It's been a good trip yeah. for me. You get to see my uh, little lair. I get to see your lair. <laughs> you have, the two pillars of gray behind you. Yeah, standing <laughs> yeah my, I got my curtains, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's. But it looks like we're in some kind of maybe Roman temple, and then you've got a striped shirt. Like I'm in a prison of sorts. So it's really it feels like that at this point. <laughs> right. Bill Pullman, All right. Well, take care. I love you. All brother. right. Best to you, Ryan. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.